A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. But that rose would still have to poop. Well, sort of. While we might not think of plants as producing poop, they're not free of the inefficiencies of a metabolic life. In the green world, life is anything but easy in, easy out. And in this episode, we'll look at the many ways that plants poop, or at least how they deal with the things they'd rather not leave lying around. This is the Single Acorn Podscat. But first, a word from our sponsor. Tired of waking up sore? Having restless nights? Tired of just, well, being tired? For the one that's always on the go, now's the time to slow down. Our patented sloth mattresses ensure 23 and a half hours a night of the most comfortable rest. Designed with you in mind, the middle of the mattress will fit to your shape and keep you there. And armed with vines on either side for you to cling to, they'll literally push you back into bed if you try to get up after anything less than 22 hours. Sloth mattresses, for the sleep you've been dreaming of. Hey there, fellow naturalists, and welcome to the Single Acorn Podcast. I am your host, Professor Iwigi, and I am here with Glenn Etter. And Glenn Etter is one of the brewmasters over at Aunt Aphid's Sweet Seltzer, which is, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm told, made from real aphid honeydew. That's correct. We milk them ourselves, too. We stick oh, yeah. their backs with, yeah, we have little feathers. Do you dress up tiny, like ants? Tiny birds. We, <laughs> yeah, well... We actually, yeah, we did that before the business started just because it helps us work harder. <laughs> so it's a collective owned. It's, it's yeah, it's sort of a hive mentality. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I used to dress up like my aunt because she was one of my favorite relatives. And then it just sort of was natural to dress like, like an aunt because in the South where I grew up, we pronounced it aunt anyway. So, And my aunt gave me an ant colony. It was just sort of a natural. I, I really, sometimes our destiny is clear, Teague what we should yeah. do so i always knew i wanted to do this kind of work yeah yeah it sounds do, like you want it. an order it's pretty good seltzer yeah do you have any what are your your flavor what are your best f- flavors um we've got honeysuckle invasive and non birch bark which is also it's it's one of the rare beverages that can be used to start a fire oh with the actual beverage itself <laughs> yeah you you can drink it or gargle it, and then if you want to like sort of spit it onto some wood sometimes it'll spontaneously burst into flame that sounds great yeah, it's yeah. a good graphic we have on the side of that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can send you a link that we can put in the show notes in case some of our listeners want to buy some. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, uh, next time we'll be it's just what it, saking our thirst with uh, yeah. some of Aunt Aphid's sweet <laughs> seltzer. It's just one of the many ways we can learn from nature, you know, and apply it to our own human endeavors. Yeah. Wait, no, Glenn, I thought that's the point of this podcast is to teach people that we shouldn't <laughs> emulate nature. Good point. I forgot. It's either should or shouldn't. Yeah, it's one of those. It shouldn't. You're right. Yeah. And this made me rethink my work line of work. Except for, of course, when you should. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Glenn, we got you here today to uh, talk about poop and plants and, uh, yeah, specifically how plants utilize or not utilize, but how they are able to deal with uh, yeah, the inefficiencies of being alive, which all organisms have to Sad, do. but true. Sad, but true. Sad, but true. Yeah. Before we get started with that, though, I just want to make a quick announcement that uh, we do have a Patreon. And so if you head over to patreon.com slash crow's path, you can support us. And if you do, I have spent far too much time in the last few weeks working on a visual field guide to the leaves of Vermont. So mm. that is a pretty much rough or pretty much finished rough draft is uh free and available for our patreon uh supporters and yeah i've seen that other goodies it's beautiful it is worth i would say it's worth approximately ten thousand dollars so <laughs> any anything under a ten thousand dollar patreon would be getting a bargain yeah for as but little as a dollar a month I'm unbiased yeah you can also get some sweet stickers if you sign up mm-hmm. 
So yeah, uh, so check that out. Uh, also, another pathetic little self plug here. Definitely, if you can, one way you can support the podcast if you can't give us money is you can uh, just give us a five star review. That'd be super helpful and supportive and helps us. Yeah, get the word and out. And if there are any hackers so, out there that know how to give us a six or seven star review, that would up our average. That's even right. More. That's right. So. I've just been burning the midnight oil, signing up for fake accounts and just hitting that five-star review. <laughs> I've got some Russian friends that are working on it. They keep getting distracted by the election. Nice. Well, all right. Now that we got that crap out of the way, let's talk about the, <laughs> the real crap. <laughs> From crap to crap. Yeah. So how do plants poop? Do plants poop? That's a better question. I'm going to say it depends on how you define poop. In the in terms of like, do they, do they plod to a toilet and then have kind of a brown substance come out of something that looks like a butthole, I would say typically no. <laughs> but, I, I mean, in terms of excreting waste, surely, right? Life is inefficient, as you pointed out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hear they poop, they poop out oxygen. Does that count as poop that we breathe in? Yeah, so well, I was thinking about this, and I, I had trouble kind of framing it in my head of uh, talking about uh, how do an- uh, plants get rid of waste? Because it's easier with with animals that are basically a cylinder uh, or a tube and stuff goes in one end and then at the other end of the tube there's you know either one hole or two holes and uh and then waste get uh, excreted out the other end and so it's clear to like follow the inputs as they become outputs uh, in terms of feces and then also there's you know other metabolic waste that gets excreted out as uh urine and then you have, you know, pores that secrete out uh, sweat and other metabolic waste and you breathe out water. But basically it's this tube system for animals. And then with plants that animals definitely or plants definitely have tubes, tubes for transporting right. water, but they don't have a digestive tract. There's no clear funnel that takes in sunlight and then no clear little <laughs> where the sun don't shine <laughs> Exit hole. orifice that they can yeah squeeze out waste. So. I mean, if you look at animals, animals that are highly, highly metabolically active and that are eating constantly like a shrew, they're pooping constantly. And then animals that are significantly slower in their metabolism uh, and their activity levels like um, like a sloth, they're only pooping, you know, once a week or once every other week. And so with plants that are, you know, on the in like one far far end of that spectrum of activity levels they are they don't have to output as much waste so the load pun intended i suppose (laughs) of having all of these metabolic inefficiencies in your body it it doesn't weigh on plants in the same way that it would on a uh an animal even the least active of animals Uh, but still would the plants that take in the most sunlight and energy would tend to, to excrete the most Excrete more than something that's in a, like a low light situation. Is that fair to say, or low nutrient situation? Yeah. So I mean, a, a plant that grows really, really quickly is going to be metabolizing. It's going to be respiring like bamboo, uh, more. So I'll it's going to be burning. Yeah. So it's going to be burning a lot of energy, and so it has to because it's burning energy in the process of burning that energy there are nitrogenous wastes as you know cell division is happening not all of those cells are going to last to maturity in the plant so they'll die and they have to 
you know, go somewhere uh, with animals if you didn't shed any of those. So a lot of your excrement is dead cells, dead blood cells in particular. Um, and then you have dead cells on your skin that you can just shed off. But uh, the internal cells get sloughed off and excreted out as waste. But if you're a plant, those dead cells can actually be used functionally and you can just incorporate those as tissue for because they don't have a skeletal system. And so they can just incorporate that as part of their skeletal system. Um, Are there any animals that do that? We can sort of like have these dead parts inside of us, give us stronger skeletons or more structure or something. Um, uh, well, like a exoskeleton is is a it's not cellular, it's chitinous. So it's made out of a protein. So that's for, you know, for all arthropods. So crustaceans, insects, uh, they have these basically protein structures. Same with like uh, mussels. They have, the shell is made out of uh, non, or it's organic in nature, but it's not, not living, living anymore. Tissue. So that's using dead cell. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we can do that. Yeah, so um, you mentioned oxygen. So oxygen's definitely a waste. So what we could think about it with a plant is maybe there's not stuff that they ingest that they then have to excrete out, but there's certainly stuff that either flows in through their body uh, or is actively taken up or is produced through photosynthesis that ultimately has to be shed or isolated by the plant. So what are those different wastes? And you mentioned oxygen. Is oxygen a waste product or what is oxygen to plants? I thought so. I thought it was part of the photosynthesis, you know, whole equation, big long equations. Then you end up with some extra oxygen. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with this? When I catch on fire, so you exude it out through some pores or vesicles or the like. That's my <laughs> primitive understanding of it. <clears throat> Could be wrong. Yeah, so oxygen is interesting because oxygen is essential for plants, but it's also toxic to plants, right? So you mentioned fire. In order to burn energy in the form of carbohydrates, sugars, you have to use oxygen. oxygen. It's the same thing when you burn a log. You're basically metabolizing the log in an inorganic fashion. So you're burning it using oxygen. And for organisms that are burning sugars, they are using oxygen to break down sugars and uh, extract energy. Yeah, and so oxygen is totally essential for plants in terms of growth. Uh, so the like if you look at a tree, a tree has to have its roots up near the soil surface, especially in a wet area where it has to have the roots up above the water so that it has access to oxygen because it's using oxygen constantly for reproducing, for cell division and uh, breaking down sugars and yeah, operating ion pumps and all sorts of different functions that roots have. So oxygen is essential, but oxygen is also a waste product of plants. And so in photosynthesis, we're not going to get in the nitty gritty <laughs> of photosynthesis here. Show You're notes, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but oxygen is so the most abundant enzyme on the planet planet is called rubisco and it's basically what fixes carbon dioxide or takes carbon dioxide and speeds up and facilitates the process of combining that with water indirectly through a bunch of steps to make uh, sugars right. yeah and so rubisco interacts with uh, carbon dioxide and that is it's preferred for a plant that's the preferred reactant uh, the output is a uh, carbon chain 
And in the presence of higher concentrations of oxygen, it'll actually, Rubisco will interact with oxygen and disrupt the cycle, the Calvin cycle, and produce uh, waste products, ammonia, that the plant then has to deal with. And so oxygen, as a plant is photosynthesizing, oxygen's constantly being produced. So the plant has to get rid of that. It can't just so ship how does, it to where it needs it. it just, it's yeah, it can't just, it just can't. Yeah, so do you know how plants get rid of their oxygen? Don't they have their, their sort of pores that they open up and kind of poof it out? <laughs> <laughs> poof. Yeah, I mean, I think there's little mouths that blow it out at each pore. Those yeah. Uh, plant mouths. Plant mouths. The Latin term for <laughs> plant mouth, actually, I think it's Greek, would be stomata. Oh, yes, the stomata. Uh, Very different from the, the stigmata. Which I believe Jesus very had, different from stigmata. Um, yeah, people have in their hands sometimes, miraculously. Yeah, some plants will get stigmata. <laughs> I, I would assume More the Catholic, in Catholic countries, I think. Yeah, um, <laughs> the the burning bush, I think. <laughs> it had too much stigmata, too much oxygen, fire. It ties together nicely. Very nicely. So, so the the stomata are these little pores that a plant can actively open or close. And they kind of act like mouth holes. And so if they open, they're taking in carbon dioxide, but they're also letting out oxygen. And so a stomata uh, that a plant can actively open or close is able to regulate the concentration of these molecules inside of the leaf uh, where photosynthesis is occurring. Oxygen can build up. So in what conditions might you find oxygen building up inside of a leaf? Like, why would it close the stomata when oxygen is building up? Well, why would it close it, even yeah. though it's getting toxified by oxygen? I'm assuming yeah. when the stomata open, it's losing other things, like water, maybe. It needs water. So this strikes me as a problem. If it, there's a lot of sunshine and it's hot, probably doing a lot of photosynthesis, and you're producing a lot of oxygen. But if also if it's really hot, then you might lose a lot of water if you open your stomata. You can all dry it out. So to me, that's a plant. that's a plant problem. Little smarty pants. I actually, I, I meant to to mention this uh, up at the top. So uh, I was super impressed uh, last time when we were talking about uh, scent marking, mm. and you suggested that ground dwelling birds, because uh, we were talking about scent marking and how birds don't scent mark because most birds can't yeah, smell, sadly. and also if you you know scent mark up in the the trees, um, there's so much area for an animal to have to cover. Cover they don't have trails work. the way. Yeah. Unless it's a ground really dwelling animal tree. still. Maybe a bamboo. So so I did some uh, research and it turns out that kiwis do scent mark. Ah. Uh, so kiwis are ground dwelling birds and yeah, they are uh, one of the few birds that scent mark. So Glenn, Good to know. I'm asking you to think on the spot here <laughs> and you are just nailing it every time. Yeah. I love it. It's the seltzer. <laughs> yeah, it, must, <laughs> it must be the seltzer. A little bit. Yeah, but so you're you're exactly right. So if you have your stomata open, you're getting rid of oxygen and taking in carbon dioxide, but you're also unfortunately getting rid of water that is being pumped up through uh, or drawn up, I should say, uh, from the roots. And so in hot, dry areas, it becomes a really big problem where you need to make sure that you're not losing too much water, but you also need to off-put uh, oxygen to get rid of this waste product. So oxygen is, it's like an air biscuit, <laughs> I guess, or <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, but it's not exactly uh, a form of, uh, of poop, but, um, I like yeah. air biscuit. That's a nice one. Float an air biscuit is a, a nice little <laughs> euphemism that my the friends used in high oh, really? school. Yeah. I think plants yeah. should use that. Maybe they do when they're in high school. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a, 
so photosynthesis evolved before oxygen concentrations were particularly high in the atmosphere and as uh, plants started to evolve and to populate terrestrial environments they were you know off putting a ton of oxygen into the environment there weren't as many animals around to use that uh, so oxygen levels started to build up but there were also all these rocks that oxygen could interact with and rust and it was um, a rusty time so, it was a rustier time than we realized maybe back then yeah the great rusting <laughs> the rust uh, age. the great oxidation yeah the great oxidation event um and this actually coincides with when photosynthesis essentially evolves um but yeah, so oxygen is getting used or absorbed by rocks and then gets absorbed by animals. But at some point, oxygen concentrations start to build up higher and higher and higher. So initially, oxygen is not a problem. But as oxygen levels in the atmosphere have gone up, producing more oxygen and having more oxygen uh, in the environment means when you open the stomata, you're going to get, get some oxygen. more oxygen that comes in. And so oxygen will be increasing problem. So one of the... They're, other two different, uh, there are three different actually pathways for photosynthesis photosynthesis to happen. One is a C three process, which is the uh, basal or the uh, uh, earliest evolution of photosynthesis, and then there's a C four process or pathway where the first output of uh, one cycle within the photosynthetic process is a uh, four chain carbon molecule rather than a three chain. Mm. And basically what those plants do is they have what's called a uh, bundle sheath that wraps around the uh, cells where the Calvin cycle, which is what produces the sugars. I think it also produced Calvin and Hobbes, right? Wasn't that it's related exactly. to that yep okay yeah so sure. it's uh it's got tiny little tigers in there that run around on little <laughs> they're imaginary powering the well they're kind <laughs> pathway. of real yeah yeah but basically they have this sheath of cells that uh generates a, a c4 molecule and in the process uh generates another carbon dioxide uh molecule and then passes it to this tube of cells that's on the inside of that bundle sheath and then the calvin cycle runs on that interior in the tube um, tubular calvin cycle. yeah and then it passes out the oxygen to the outer layers of the cell and so the calvin cycle is happening on the inside of the plant and we'll link a, a photo so that you can get a better visual of this but basically the calvin cycle is happening on this inside tube within the leaf and then uh, this buffer process is happening uh, in a layer around that that is passing carbon dioxide to the inside. So the photosynthetic cells are not in direct contact with the buildup of oxygen. So they can run the C4 process all through the day when the stomata are closed and they're not letting gas in or out. So it retains water, but it allows for the plant to deal with uh, a higher concentration of oxygen. So that was an improvement, C4. Yeah. Is there any connection to this explosive C4? Is there a chance plants thing that I could explode? So. I want to make sure. I'm taking my son out on a walk. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll do we'll do some research and get back to you on <laughs> okay. that. Okay. But yeah, a bunch of uh, like grasses do this. So this is like in um you know here in the northeast. So you get early season weeds, and then in the late summer, you get this whole new set of weeds that start to appear, uh, like purslane and crabgrass uh, and a bunch of other grasses. And those are plants that can, they all have C4 pathways, and so they're all able to deal really well with these hot, dry conditions. And so just to and so they, reiterate, these plants may, may have, or at least their processes evolved later when there was more oxygen around. In the yeah, exactly. Atmosphere. It's a response to that.
and it uh, also conveniently allows them to keep their stomata closed so that they can retain yeah um all right so we've got oxygen as one sort of toxic product that plants have to figure out how to get rid of what else do we have um i'm sorry i got temporarily distracted i shouldn't have done this but i was was looking at purslane which is a plant i didn't know did you know it's also called pigweed, little hogweed, fatweed, and pusley? And those just those are, great, those are names. great names, but they all seem a little, you know, there's a little bit of anger or aggression behind some of those. I think. <laughs> yeah. Little- well, it's a weed. Uh, my friend, she was farming and uh, selling locally. They were selling salad greens locally to restaurants. And one of the restaurant, uh, the chefs came to the farm to just see their operation. And uh, he was like, oh, you guys are, uh, I think they were selling basil for like eight bucks a pound or something like that. And then uh, he was walking around and he's like, oh, you guys are growing purslane? She's like, nah, no, <laughs> we're, you know, trying to weed that out. And he's like, oh, we'll buy that. And they wound up selling, I think, for like nine bucks a pound Even or something. More. It's got this wow. really, it's like a lemony, buttery kind of flavor wow, to it. Great. And it's mildly succulent so it's got these sort of um it's a bit water, fatter leaves it's the name fatweed yeah it says it can be eaten raw or cooked i'm not yeah. a fan of the delicious purslane. all right so the question was what other waste besides oxygen might a plants have yeah well i feel like they might have some you know if a plant's too ambitious and it feels like it wishes it could walk around like the animals it might have some some dreams that have gone wasted that needs to get rid of Wait, I was thinking more about myself there. <laughs> um, what else does it produce as a waste? Well, I mean, it sounds like humans have these nitrogenous wastes that are partly because of our cells have nitrogen, but maybe partly because of different metabolism. And so it sounds like plants can sometimes convert those cells into their own structure, but maybe they still have some cells they have to slough off or some nitrogen running around they have to get rid of. Even though that would be weird because they also need nitrogen, right, to grow. Maybe they could fertilize themselves. Uh, well, in some, uh, so nitrogen actually, so fertilizer burn can be a real thing. And there are some plants like uh, strawberries have uh, these things called hydathodes, which are these little pores at the margins. You might've actually seen this uh, on there are a bunch of different plants that have this like typically plants that grow small low to the ground so trees don't have these what happens is like say it rains at night and then the water builds up in the soil and the plant which has salts inside of its body creates a gradient pressure where water wants to flow from the area where there's uh, no salt out in the soil into the area where there's a lot of salt. So water starts to flow into the roots and pressure builds up in the roots. And then to relieve that pressure, water then gets pushed up towards the top of the plant. And then it gets pushed. You can't just ever squirt out like a fountain. Well, so it builds up at the edges uh, of the leaf and there are these little pores, uh, these hydathodes. And at the edges of them, you get these little beads of water droplets. And so the images of gutation are, that's what it's called, gutation, the uh, exudation of these little droplets of water. But one of the things it can do is it can actually pass nitrogen that's inside of the roots. It can pass that nitrogen up into the leaf and then out on the margin. So sometimes the margins have like this little uh, sort of white crust around the edge of it. Yeah. And it's like bird those poop? are, like yeah, uh, maybe not. In, it looks a little more like if you go for a run on a hot day and then afterwards you dry off and you have all that crusty crust. salt yeah. on you. I like that look. I go for that look. Sometimes I'll just put table salt on my face when I go out. Formerly yeah. when I was single. <laughs> Didn't work that well, but sometimes animals would come up and lick me. Nice. By the way, the images on gutations are beautiful. 
on the internet. They're really, really, They're really quite special. Um, yeah. Okay, so and, and you're saying fertilizer burn, that's when you get too much, too many nutrients in the plant takes in too many nutrients and it can... Yeah, so that would be like if you have uh, high concentrations of uh, potassium or nitrogen in the soil. Um, but then I think what you were talking about is the metabolic waste is like, you know, proteins get broken down and stuff like that. So when you have waste on a smaller cellular cellular level, plant cells have a organelle in them called a vacuole that they're able to, uh, a bunch of waste materials can get packed inside of it. So it basically is like a little internal trash receptacle where they can pack away waste what? in there. Oh my God. And then what happens to it? Does it just stay there? Like like amber? It kind of depends. So, you know, plants are not super metabolically active. And for a lot of plants, they're annuals. So if you can just kind of isolate your... Um, I mean, if you're a trout lily, your leaf, which is growing really fast and maybe producing a lot of metabolic byproducts, you are uh, your leaf is around for a month. And then... It disappears, right? It dies completely, and then all that stuff returns into the soil to get broken down. So for most plants, they actually can just kind of uh, cordon off the area that's toxic and then wait for it to so die. We, this would be just like if we got a bunch of trash bags in our house and just left them in different places. Just like close them up, just put them in corners in our house or in a closet, which I'm not advocating again for our listeners unless... Yeah, and then you just moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you um, just move or wait yeah. for your house to, to collapse. Yeah, which would be the equivalent of, you know, going to seed. Or, you know, if you're a tree, uh, so a tree can just deal with it by putting all their waste products in their leaves and then shedding their leaves every year. So are the chat lily yeah. leaves full of vacuoles? Because we, we nibble on those sometimes in the spring. We just like chewing down plant waste. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I, I mean, it's vacuoles. not it's not a big deal. Okay. Yeah, there's so these uh, secondary metabolites, which are uh, like turpentines and resins and stuff like that, uh, that are. Yeah. yeah, So those were previously thought like uh, this is one of the biggest misconceptions that you'll find uh, uh, in researching plant waste is that uh, plant waste has been uh, co-opted to serve defensive functions in the plant but those secondary metabolites are actually things that are actively generated by plants and not waste products so yeah the things that you would be more concerned about ingesting in a plant are things that it's the defenses. plant is actively producing to, to yeah, yeah defend itself from you because they poop out oxygen yeah they may also poop out rainbows for all i know yeah I think that might be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Can't well it's possible <laughs> but yeah so so a plant uh, you know a uh, the vacuoles are on like a cellular level. And then like I was just mentioning on the organ level, you can, you know, shunt all of your waste products into a uh, a leaf and then shed those every year. Salt, which is another thing that plants ingest or take in through the roots that they then have to worry about building up in higher and higher concentrations. There are a bunch of different plants like mangroves or I used to live out in California and one of my favorite plants was uh, coyote bush. And coyote bush and mangroves, both, they, they're different species of mangroves, but uh, they all have these little salt glands that are on the surface of the leaves. And basically what they do is they use ATP, which is like a really easily accessible energy source. And they use that to power these pumps that pump salt into the glands. And then the glands swell and swell and swell, and they get so filled with salt that eventually they sort of like 
squeeze out these little crystals of salt. So um, the leaves of coyote bush, one of the reasons I love it so much is you can just lick them and they're super, super salty. They taste really good. And they grow, you know, um, all of these are plants that are growing in areas that are really salty. So either deserts, you know, where an old salt basin is dried up, like in Utah or in uh, like in coastal marsh areas. I think you can also lick the, the nose of an albatross. I think they exude salt through tubes. If you're craving that similar experience, Is that right? yeah, I think there's several <clears throat> yeah seabirds that can exude salt through their <laughs> these tubular structures in their nose, and harder to lick, but more satisfying because you put more effort into it. So oh, I know really I know great. here in Vermont sometimes people plant sea seaberries. Is that right? Near roads because roads are getting a lot of salt. Do they have salt glands? Do you know of? Or how do why does seaberry do well around salt? Maybe they just grew up. Maybe they thrive near the beach yeah i don't know um i mean yeah certainly think i i don't know specifically with seaberry but like white pine one of the things that i've noticed is white pine retains its needles in uh through the winter it's a conifer and an evergreen and uh, facing roads and on the lower branches often you'll get this dieback uh every year and it seems to be there's another disease that uh, attacks white pines, but this seems to be associated with salt spray getting on the uh, on the needles and effectively drying them out. Water is going to flow from areas where there's no low concentrations of salt to areas where there's high. So waters, if there's salt on the leaves of plants, and this happens in the winter, so it's particularly damaging for conifers. If there's salt on the um, if there's salt on the outside edges of the leaf or the needle, then water's going to be drawn out and it'll dry out the, yeah, the yeah. needles and they'll die. Yeah. Salt, so wonderful and so deadly. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So plants can put the waste in the leaves and shed them that way. Um, oh, I also forgot that, uh, yeah, with mangroves, they can also, they just pack salt and metabolic waste into their bark and then their bark will just slough off and they can shed it that way so that's one way is you can just put it in structures that are temporary if you look at like oak wood in cross section they there are these little rays that go in towards the center and that's for transporting materials and so they're able to sort of uh, do one of two things one as the xylem cells which make up the wood as those die uh, waste products can get concentrated in the vacuoles that are contained in there. And then those dead cells all just become part of this trunk and they're structural. And then also, if you have these uh, tubes, they can transport material from the outer living cells of the wood uh, towards the inner heartwood. And so if you look at trees in cross-section, there's heartwood, which typically has a much darker appearance to it than the whiter sapwood, which is just where uh, water and minerals are getting transported up but it has a darker color and it's concentrated with metabolic waste oh, so it's probably the plant poop that's making the heartwood they poop at their heart poop yeah from the heart that's what i always that's what i tell my son <laughs> <laughs> yeah give it all your heart you gotta have hot yeah I, that's a, a conundrum for me because with heartwood, the heartwood it seems to be where you know all the waste products are being deposited, and for some species, the heartwood rots quicker than in other species. So, like northern white cedar, the trunk will rot from the out, uh, inside out, so the heartwood is decomposing faster than the sapwood is, and then it's the opposite for uh, like white pine. But I'm not really 
sure how that correlates. Um, some things seem to be attracted to eating <laughs> the waste products of plants. And yeah. Um, do you know any plants that eat? Well, we've got your basic, you know, stereotypical Venus fly traps and pitcher plants, sundews, the like, carnivorous plants. So this is our exception, right? So uh, they do have a hole, uh, sort of. They have a trap that they take in food a from. Hole. So a pie hole, as I call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if you were a fly trap, how would you get rid of your waste? Well, if you're already clever enough to catch animals for your food, maybe you can like have other animals come in and take your waste away. Maybe they have holes in their roots. You know, they sort of like poop it out, goes down through, and then just goes out of roots for emulating the animals that they're eating. Maybe. Uh... <laughs> Those are going to be my three options. They use the stomata. They descend it downstream, poop it out their roots, or they somehow get another organism to help them with this extra waste. Some other oh, bacteria. That would be cool. To rec- yeah. Um, and you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. I was I was trying. Sometimes I'll ask a question when I'm uh, teaching college students, and I'll I'll get some answer that's so wildly wrong. That's right. That no 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 that, that it's just wrong. And I'll I, I never want to say like you're wrong. You want to say oh that's a really good idea, <laughs> but sometimes it's just like so wrong, and you're and you're like no I'm sorry you're just you're wrong. No that's not right. So I have a hard when time letting in... down gently. So I apologize to you. I didn't mean no, to no, just I shut you it. down well, for lived, great suggestions. When I lived in San Francisco, there was a street called You're Wrong. It was Y U. R-O-N-G. And when I would drive around, I would start trying to ask people really hard questions as we got close to that. So then I could just say, you're wrong as we pass this. You're wrong. Nice. That's that's clever. So unfortunately, you you proposed some really great ideas, (laughs) but unfortunately, none of them happen to be the correct uh, thing. So um, a like a Venus flytrap. I used to have a Venus flytrap named Mr. Arnold after uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, 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 no. The uh, the actual Mr. Arnold. That was Mr. John Arnold. Oh, I thought it might be a like a cousin of Mr. Ed, the talking horse. No, it's a reference to a movie, my favorite movie, the only movie that matters. Mr. John Arnold is your favorite movie? I mean, he's a character in your favorite movie? That's right. Okay. Luckily, I have something I call the interwebs. John Arnold, MD, works in Boston Children's Hospital. I don't think that's it. Yep. No, that's who I named after. He's uh, an anesthesiologist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Dr. John Arnold from Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park. Uh, so Mr. Arnold was a Venus flytrap. And this was when I was teaching a botany class. And every week I would uh, have students bring in different insects and then we would feed it to the flytrap. And the flytraps are really cool. You can't just set a dead insect That's in there. Well, they have these little hairs and the hairs have to get triggered multiple times. I think it's like six or seven times uh-huh. before the trap will actually close. Because they want to make sure if they close yeah, that they're... That's a lot of energy. You know, they want to make sure they're getting yeah. something. I'm the same way when I close my mouth. I kind of like check five or six times. It's my tongue. Make sure something's there. That's really smart. Yeah, thank you. That's before chewing. <laughs> that's really smart, Glenn. <laughs> you lose a lot of energy just chewing air. Yeah. So uh, so we kind of tickled the Venus flytrap, and then it would close up, and then it would slowly dissolve it, and then the next week we would feed it again. And uh, we had this outbreak every year. CCV, the Community College of Vermont in Winooski, has this outbreak of box elder bugs in the fall when all of the box elder bugs that are feeding uh, on box elder seeds and primarily, they all make their way to a place to overwinter indoors. And so there's just this huge eruption of them every fall on the building, in the building, everywhere. And they're these black-bodied 
uh, they're true bugs. So they have these black bodies with this sort of red X mark on their back. Typically, when you have an organism that's bright red and black, it tells you of the don't eat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a posomatic coloring is what it's called. And it's a warning. Don't eat me, uh, which I probably should have taken a heart. But we fed it to poor (laughs) Mr. Arnold. Mr. Arnold. Yeah, and it killed Mr. Arnold. Oh but that's one God. of the hazards of being a Venus flytrap is, you know, you said that you, you know, you I, feel around yeah. in your and mouth before you colors. start chewing. I check for red and black. I chew, chew a few times and I put, spit it out and check in my hand. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't even actually have to spit it out. I'm they gonna, could check beforehand? I haven't thought of that. Well, yeah, here's a life hack. You could also use your taste buds. Oh, uh, that's right. And, or I guess you could use your eyeballs. Yeah, that would be <laughs> even easier. So uh, Venus flytraps don't have eyeballs and they don't have taste buds. They just start to digest whatever lands in them. And if it happens to be something toxic, then it's going to you know, be absorbed by that leaf, that single trap. But then the plant can just shed that that trap and get rid of that leaf. So I think for flytraps, it's like 10 or so times before they get rid of a trap. So as they're, you know, digesting these things, they're ingesting uh, a lot of stuff that's edible and that can be incorporated and used by the plant. But they're also potentially ingesting things that are harmful and toxic. Did Mr. Arnold Uh, just drop that leaf or did Mr. Arnold get killed by the box elder bug? um, Mr. Arnold, uh, unfortunately, died uh, from that one outright. But Mr. Arnold was very, very haggard. It, uh, It was pretty impressive. I had it growing in this little thing of peat and i try to keep it watered but it was always uh sort of on the edge of dying because it was drying uh, out and yeah mm. so, so right, that was the that was the yeah nail red the and black last nail yeah yeah so that's pretty much it for for plants so i guess the answer to our question is do plants poop the answer is uh kind, kind of? of maybe they definitely have waste products. They have things that they take into their bodies that they don't use. And so they either breathe those out like oxygen. They squeeze those out like salt or uh, water, excess water, uh, nitrogen. Or they just hold onto it as part of their body, as in the xylem and wood, like heartwood. Um, or they just store it in an organ like a leaf or bark. And then they shed it once a year at the end of its life. So... Yeah, the vacuoles. I think vacuoles should be used more, <clears throat> more widely in English. We should maybe call each other vacuoles, or just like, I'm just gonna make a little vacuole here, make a little trash pile, <laughs> deal with it later. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. I mean, vacuoles are used for a bunch of different stuff. So in uh, plants, they can also pump a bunch of water into a vacuole. And when a vacuole is full, there's a central vacuole in a plant cell and when that's full it makes the plant cell rigid and so that's what uh, you know plants that don't have wood like a stalk of celery when it you know it's cut the vacuoles the central vacuoles and all the cells start to uh release water and so they contract and that's why the celery stalk gets flaccid but when you have a fresh stalk of celery, all those central vacuoles are filled with water. with water. And so when you bite into it, you can hear all those central vacuoles just bursting open. Satisfying. It's a nice, satisfying Especially crunch sound. some pimento cheese to dampen it somewhat, some would say. Yeah. 
Cool. So yeah, that's that's it for plant waste. Uh, in the next episode, what we'll talk about is how plants and animals interact in terms of uh, waste products. And so we'll look at how plants have exploited the digestive tracts of animals to do their bidding for them. Mm, nice. I'm looking forward to that one myself. Yeah. I always am. All right, Teague. All See right. you next time. Bye. Bye. There's something far less silly about vacuoles, secondary metabolites, heartwood, and stomata than a good old-fashioned pile of poop. But plants never were much for humor anyways. In the next episode, we'll wrap things up by looking at the peculiar relationship humans have to our waste. Until then, we'd greatly appreciate you dropping a five-star review for us. It definitely helps us get the word out there on iTunes and other podcast apps. After leaving a review, head on over to crowspath.org podcast, and you can get in touch with us there through the Woodland Message Board. Here you can ask us questions, suggest future topics, and even post fake ads that we'll read on the air. You'll also find archived episodes, online natural history programs, and lots of other natural history content. All right, naturalists, that's it for now. We'll see you next time on The Single Acorn.